When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, you're toxic, I'm slipping under. I'm Joe McCormick. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And our regular host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us this week. He is having a wonderful time somewhere other than the office. Uh, which is a good thing to do occasionally, or so I've heard. But if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably know Lauren and I sort of have a tradition that when Jonathan's away... The scorpions will play. Uh, or, or or the creepy crawlies of some kind. Whenever Jonathan is out, we try to do a podcast about bugs. Uh, and, and it's surprisingly fruitful in terms of future technology. Yeah. We, who knew? <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about something that was an idea Lauren had, and I think it actually turned out really cool. The potential for future technologies and current developing medical technologies based on positive uses of venom. Venom. Animal venom. Yes. Lauren, do you have a venom story? Have you ever been stung or bitten by any kind of creature that put poison under your skin? Uh, no. 
that's a boring answer. <laughs> no good spider bites, scorpion stings, anything like that? Um, I mean, I, I guess I've gotten like a tiny spider bite once or twice, but I mean, you know, or, or like an ant bite. Are ants venomous? Yes, yes, they are. Many creatures that inject some kind of poison into your body uh, are venomous. Wait a minute now. I think we're having a little vocabulary mix up because I think you just said poison and that's not exactly the same thing as venom, is it? No, it's not. Though in sort of popular parlance it might be. But uh, let's let's talk the science talk. What does it actually mean when like a biologist says venom versus poison? Well, I, I was curious about this, so I looked it up. And there, uh, there's a paper called Complex Cocktails, the Evolutionary Novelty of Venoms. That was a, it was a 2013 report in Trends in Ecology and Evolution. And this gave the following definition of venom specifically. They said it's a secretion produced in a specialized gland in one animal and delivered to a target animal through the infliction of a wound, regardless of how tiny it could be which contains molecules that disrupt normal physiological or biochemical processes so as to facilitate feeding or defense by the producing animal. That's now, a lot of words. That's kind of a mouthful, mm -hmm. but it has a lot of detail there. That's kind of a good meaty definition. So yeah. it it includes that it's not a passive distribution right. of the chemical. It's produced by the host animal. Uh, the animal delivers it to another animal somehow through like a bite through or a some sting. kind of injection mm -hmm. and it facilitates either defense or or predatory behavior mm -hmm. and this sort of goes in line with a popular definition not just for the common speech level i looked it up in merriam webster they said venom was a poison that's produced by an animal such as a snake used to kill or injure another animal through biting or stinging uh, so basically the difference between uh, a venom and a poison is the delivery vector of the icky stuff. And uh, venoms are injected by like specialized, usually like hypodermic needle-like teeth or stingers. Mm. And poisons are just secreted uh, like in lazy, lazy frogs. Oh, they're, the poison dart frogs? Yeah, yeah. They're the hippies of the animal kingdom, I'm telling you. Right. Right, because they just wait for you to come up and handle them. Yeah. And that's how they get you. Mm -hmm. so, or so, eat them or et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So the easy rubric, I guess, is that if you seize up and die after an animal bites you or stings you, that animal was venomous. Mm -hmm. But if you die after you eat an animal or you catch it and rub it all over your naked flesh, that animal was probably poisonous. Probably. Although it's a good rule of thumb to not go around eating animals if you're not sure that they don't contain little sacks of really potent neurotoxins. <laughs> I, Unless you're really sure of what you're doing, um, eating a venomous snake is really just as bad as eating a poisonous snake. Really? And there are poisonous snakes. Some snakes are both venomous and poisonous. Really? Po like a, a snake that would be poisonous to eat or handle? Yeah. Bad huh. times. Stay away from that guy. I always thought that the use of poisonous snake was just kind of like people using the word wrong. So d different different animals have all kinds of different stuff going on. How true that is. And in fact, I came across a really interesting little fact on the side while I was researching for this episode. Uh, so some poisonous animals, like the family of poison dart frogs, don't actually make their own poison, but they acquire it from the environment they live in. So it, it's thought that they eat some kind of poisonous prey, huh. and then they appropriate that poison into the poison that they wear on their skin. So oh, cool. you, you rub the frog all over you, and then you get sick or die. Yeah. 
that's actually because of something that the frog itself acquired from nature. Yeah. Okay, so let's do a few quick venom facts before we get into the venom tech. Joe, Joe and I might be really excited about this, if you couldn't tell, listeners. Well, I just, yeah, I love venom wisdom. Venom, is that, does that have something to do with Spider-Man? Because I don't feel like Venom had a lot going on in the wisdom category. You are much more the comic book nerd around here. I think you know more about Venom than I do. As we've established, I'm sort of a fake geek He's 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 (laughs) He's kind of a raging id, sort of, so, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. At any rate. Yeah, no, 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 so Venom facts. Yeah, 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 so... The obvious question that always comes up, it's like it's sort of the kids playground argument, right? What's the most venomous animal in the world? But actually, that's a question that's kind of hard to answer because you can't measure it by which ones kill the most animals or humans, because this might be based more on like which ones were exposed to the most often, the number of bites, access to health care and anti-venom after you get bitten, the conditions. Uh, Lots of these things. And it's not like uh, venom has a base level of toxicity that that there's an easy litmus test for. It's it's really just how does it interact with cells. And, And most venoms are made up of multiple proteins and peptides that have different effects on different cell structures. Right. So one venom might have a bunch of different toxins in it. Right. Um, the old method for measuring toxicity is called a substance's LD50, which is the lethal dose LD of a substance that will kill 50% of test animals. Uh, it's measured by the weight of the substance needed per 100 grams or one kilogram, uh, depending on uh, how big of a critter you're talking about, of the test animal's body weight. So low numbers are more deadly. For for example, a box jellyfish's venom has an LD50 of 0.04. Uh, don't eat their stingers. That would be bad. Um, a coral snake's LD50 is 1.3. Um, and now if this method sounds like a lot of animals were harmed in the making of the, this this research, you're correct. And uh, that's why people don't use it so much anymore, because it involves killing a whole lot of test animals. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Bad times. Hmm. So a lot of times you'll see animals, when when we're setting up these great venom competitions, separated into different animal groups. Yeah. So uh, some people say, for example, that the most venomous snake might be the inland taipan snake of Australia. A lot of these things hang out in Australia. And they really do, like these funnel web spiders. Apparently oh. those, those are just like these little... Eight-legged Darth Vaders that live on the ground in Australia. I feel bad for if we have any Australian listeners, please write in. Tell us about all the venomous creatures that you find in your bed at night. Uh, but yeah, so the inland Taipan, supposedly the amount of venom usually delivered in one bite by this snake is enough to kill a hundred adult men. Oof. Fortunately, we have ways of treating this. We have an effective anti-venom. By the way, do a quick Google image search, if you're listening on a computer, of the Inland Taipan. It does this thing where it raises a coiled section of its upper body up off the ground, and it looks so intimidating, it's almost funny. Huh. It looks like it's some kind of like snake-shaped airplane in mid-takeoff. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like winding up into the sky, and the next frame it'll be off the ground. All right. Also, another fact... <laughs> Taipan apparently means something like big shot or tycoon in oh, Chinese. Man. That's beautiful. That's that, And the spelling of that, if you're trying to look it up, is T-A-I-P-A-N. Hmm. So go 
go check that out. Um, but, uh, yeah, other, other creatures. I mean, you know, lots of things are venomous that you probably already know about, but some really interesting ones. We wanted to hit on a couple. Yeah. One I really like are cone snails. You know about these? Cone snails. Cone snails. Look them up. They live under the ocean. Uh, some cone snails shoot prey with these bio harpoons they have containing neurotoxin. Snails have a lot of have a lot of harpoons going on, guys. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> there are also species of cone snail that uh, I just read about this today. They attack their prey with blasts of insulin, which cripples fish by drastically lowering their blood sugar. And then the snails can just kind of slurp them up. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, apparently a, a couple different species of cone snails. Some of them have these little harpoons and mm-hmm. others have this kind of area effect. They yeah, they, yeah, sort, yeah. they sort of l- let loose this this miasma of toxin stuff. And one of those toxins is insulin. And uh, that's crazy to me. They're, they're looking into using um, the production of this insulin for like diabetes diabetes research. Yeah, and that highlights something we're going to talk about in the the medical tech part of this episode, which is that a lot of these toxins can have a positive effect on the body in one way or another if you have a specific kind of thing you need to do because these toxins are designed by evolution to be efficacious to create some kind of change uh-huh. in animal bodies. Right. And if that's the kind of change you want to create to help somebody's medical condition, it can be good news. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one more that is not useful as far as we know is platypus venom. Did you guys, were you aware that platypuses are venomous? I did not know this before today. Is this common knowledge? I thank you for not using the word platypi, even if that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't think it is correct. I think it's like octopuses. Like people have slowly started losing that bizarre, poor Latin um, I, th- I think I might have heard that platypuses are venomous, but tell me about it. OK, so male platypuses specifically have spurs on their hind legs, like one on each hind leg that can provide a sting. Um, females are born with these spurs, but they fall off before they reach adulthood. Um, and, and these spurs are used in defense against predators um, because, I mean, I would not attack a platypus because it's really cute. But I understand that not everything in the wild has those reluctances. But um, they, they they can also be used. The spurs can also be used used defensively during mating season against against platypuses competitors for a specific mate. I'm sure they play rough. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they deliver enough of a punch to to kill something the size of a of a platypus or, or say a dog. Um, but not a human. Although their venom does cause a great deal of pain in humans, and it does so by some neurotoxin mechanism that is not regulated by morphine. So so if you get stung by a platypus and you go, ow, lots of ow, and a normal doctor response would be to be like, well, oh, here's some morphine that'll help you feel not ow anymore. Doesn't work. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. It's like they thought of everything. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Though I do have to imagine in the wild, most platypus deaths are the result of overzealous 19th century naturalists from, like, the Great London Society. That that sounds likely. It's a very sad. There, there should really be a, a conservancy group. <laughs> oh, there's one. <laughs> pip, pip. Yeah. Uh. Um, but despite all this. I want to highlight that it's really important not to demonize venomous animals. Especially platypuses. Right. We don't need to wipe platypuses off the face of the earth. We don't need to get rid of the inland taipan. Generally, these animals are not very threatening to humans. 
They just want to be left alone. Mm -hmm. Venom is a strength trait that these creatures possess to survive, just like your dog's teeth and jaw muscles or your meaty hands, which I point out are perfect for punching and strangling, or your big mutant brain. I mean, all kinds of creatures have defense and predation mechanisms. Just because it's scary to you doesn't mean that these creatures are worth being uh, looked at askance. Oh, right, right. And as we mentioned briefly earlier and are about to go into in detail, uh, a, a lot of the, the venoms that these things produce have these awesome medical uses. Right. Um, Another reason not to demonize them. Yes. Uh, a, a lot of the time, venoms are neurotoxins. You see, they, they affect the nervous system and can cause on, on the negative end anything from like dizziness to difficulty breathing to blurred vision to muscle seizure. And, and that idea in nature is is generally to either paralyze prey so that you can eat it. Yay. Um, or to hurt predators enough so that you can escape from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, other toxins might like affect other types of cells like blood or skin cells, which, um, you know, usually by killing them by like rupturing the cell walls or something like that. One really common one, um, y- you might have heard of it before, is using uh, proteins from snake venoms to help dissolve blood clots in patients experiencing a heart attack or a stroke. I think that's kind of the the commonly heard of venom technology. Um, But lots of toxins can be very useful. Yeah. And in fact, we already use all kinds of toxins from venom in medical research today. And we wanted to highlight a few of the strangest and coolest ideas we came across. And especially the kind of upcoming ones, things that are still being sort of ironed out. Yeah. So I want to talk about attacking brain tumors with scorpion venom. Okay, let's. Pretty weird idea, huh? Uh, yeah, I, I would not. I mean, if I had a brain tumor, my first thought would not be, let's get some scorpions. Well, it might be soon, and I, I want to paint a picture for you and help explain why this would be so. Okay. So let's say you have a tumor in your brain. Obviously, you want to get that tumor out of there. Yes. So you need to have a surgical procedure where they go in, they open up your skull, and they remove all the tumor tissue so that it doesn't spread to other parts of your body or keep growing and eventually kill you. Mm -hmm. So you want to cut out all of the cancer cells while removing as little healthy tissue as possible. Uh, But especially in the brain, that's really tricksy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not always as easy to tell the difference as you might think. So you can take a pre-op MRI. You can put somebody in an MRI machine and get a picture of the inside of their head to try to get some idea of what the edges of the tumor look like, Mm -hmm. but this isn't perfect, and you can miss sections, and that's really bad. This often happens. You hear about this. People go in to have a brain tumor removed, and it only turns out later like, oh, no, we didn't get right. We didn't get all of it, and then they might have to have another surgery, and and it's, uh, it's a very bad thing. On the other hand, if you cut too much, we're talking about the brain here. It's pretty obvious why that is not a good option. You don't want to remove healthy tissue. Anything that's right. Exactly. It can have debilitating effects. So there's a guy named Jim Olson, who's a pediatric oncologist, meaning he treats cancer in children, and a clinical researcher at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. And for a while now, he's been leading research on a medical technology to help with this problem, and it's called tumor paint. Tumor paint. Tumor paint. Weird name, but hold on for a second here, and, and we'll we'll explain how it works. So tumor paint is a protein-linked fluorescent dye. 
and it's derived from a toxin that you find in the venom of a death stalker scorpion. Death stalker scorpion. Yes, it okay, is cool. The best name for an animal <laughs> ever come up with by anyone. The death stalker scorpion. So the relevant toxin is called chlorotoxin. And this is a toxin that works by blocking uh, chloride ion channels and cells. And the death stalker scorpion uses the toxin to paralyze its prey, which would be, you know, tasty insects like cockroaches or something. Sure. Paralyze them, nom, 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 eat them up. <laughs> the thing about chlorotoxin is that it's not toxic to humans. Side note, this does not mean that death stalker venom is harmless to humans. There is other stuff in there that'll get you. Don't go playing with those things. In general, do not go playing with scorpions. No. Uh, but when applied to humans, chlorotoxin actually tends to bind or it sort of like prefers to bind to glioma cells. And that's one type of it's a particular type of brain cancer cell. So you make the tumor paint by joining two ingredients. You've got a chlorotoxin based substance that does what it does. It binds to these tumor cells in the body. It seeks out the cancer cells and it penetrates them. Okay. And then linked to that, you've got a dye that lights up when viewed uh, under a special camera and lit up with a near-infrared laser. Huh. So in the surgical context, what you do is you'd have someone with a brain tumor and you're about to go in for surgery and you inject some tumor paint into the patient. Uh, it binds to the cancer cells in the brain tumor and then the surgeon can shine that near-infrared laser at the brain section to make a hidden tumor into a glow-in-the-dark tumor. And it's easy to distinguish it from the surrounding tissue when viewed through that special camera that they have right next to the operating table. It glows this blue-green color. Wow. Therefore, it's easier for the surgeon to manage the margins with precision, you know, getting all of the cancer with, without removing too much healthy tissue around the sides. According to a September 2014 press release from the Fred Hutchinson Center, a mm -hmm. version of tumor paint called BLZ100 was approved for clinical trials in the United States. Oh, man. And that's really exciting news. But it's also a reminder that, you know, the safety and efficacy of this method is not fully proven yet. And the mm -hmm. treatment has a lot of testing left to undergo. So we don't know everything about it yet. But it's really Oh, interesting yeah, yeah. and exciting that this could be a, a big breakthrough in how to help people with brain tumors. But as great as it sounds, it might not be the only application of tumor paint. Uh, in addition to these brain cancer cells, the glioma, it might be useful in pinpointing other cancer cells like lung cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, uh, colorectal and sarcomas. They've even talked about using it to pinpoint uh, non-pigmented skin cancer cells Ooh. that are hard to see. Oh, normally. wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, none none of the things that I have been researching for, for this podcast are quite at the clinical trial stage yet. They are mm -hmm. all still being done uh, in, in animal testing. Yeah. But are nonetheless pretty exciting. Um, there, there is some indication that a particular type of spider venom could be the Viagra of the future. Really now? That. <laughs> <laughs> See, okay, I have to reveal here. Oh, this that sounds weird. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that I'm, I don't like spiders. Oh, okay. I'm, I mean, I, I really appreciate them as animals. Actually, mm -hmm. I love looking like at pictures of spiders on the computer and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like it when they're in my house. They kind of freak me out. I think that's un that's completely understandable. There's a whole science behind why we find spiders super creepy. Um, 
they they set off all of these evolutionary things that are like, why is that thing moving that way and why is it scuttling towards me? Yeah. Um, scuttling. The scuttling has a lot to do with it. Yeah. They they do seem like, even though they're quite common on Earth, they seem like aliens. Yeah. No, I'm with you. They're super creepy. I I think they're very beautiful. But um, okay. So, one side effect of some arthropod venoms is priapism. Uh, which is named after the god Priapus, right? Is it? Is that how that gets there? That's cool. I believe. I believe he was a um, an amorous deity of Greek origin. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. Uh, so, so priapism is a a painfully extensive erection. All right. Um, of of the penile tissue, and. Uh, specifically, two or three arthropods, all of them from Brazil. We've got the extremely toxic Brazilian wandering spider and the Brazilian yellow scorpion um, have been the two that I've seen most commonly researched for this. Um, that they, they have venoms containing chemicals that can cause priapism in their victims. Now, obviously, that's not a condition you want to seek out as uh, it naturally occurs. No, that's I would not. I mean, they're terrifying. also pretty deadly and that is awful. Yes. Uh, so, OK, it, it was a good while before anyone really tracked down what these chemicals are. But because erectile dysfunction is a, shall we say, fertile business? Yes, it is a multi-billion dollar industry. <laughs> um, researchers have been working on it. And to be serious, it, it really is a very important quality of life issue, especially in men who have lost function as a side effect of, you know, receiving really important treatment for serious diseases like prostate cancer. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not all goofy haha penis times right um so so around 2010 though a group out of the medical college of georgia which is here in georgia it's down in augusta um started isolating a peptide called pntx2-6 okay so this is a specific peptide found in the venom of these brazilian arachnids yes okay and i do not understand how this process works <laughs> um <laughs> According to studies that these researchers released, uh, the the peptide affects excitable ion channels, mainly sodium channels. So I'm pretty sure it has to do with the chemical activation of electromuscular responses. Um, and, and furthermore, it happens to target or, or I guess more precisely, preferentially localize in penile tissues, sort of the same way that your uh, your your brain cancer tumor paint stuff um preferentially selects brain cancer cells. Huh. So uh, nature is great um, and terrifying. So but... wait a minute. Does this mean we're going to have people like people in the pharmaceutical industry, like mass milking spiders to create pills for erectile dysfunction? Uh, no, which is good because that is the worst thing I've thought of all day. Um, no, no, no one is planning huge farms filled with deadly spiders. Um, some peptides, as it turns out, are really easy to recreate artificially in labs, uh, generally by by scooping out bits of DNA from bacteria and replacing them with the genetic code for the production of whatever peptide you want to create. Okay. Um, so, so you're just turning bacteria into little peptide cows. Um, <laughs> and 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 this is one of those peptides that it's pretty easy to do that with. Um, the next one that we are going to talk about is as well. Well, you know, every time you get the chance, you bring it back to bees. Are I you going to talk about bees I'm today? I'm so going to talk about bees. Why do you love bees so much? Because they're the best. Because I love bees. If I didn't love bees as much as you did, I'd say not the bees. But 
I'm not going to say that. So instead, Lauren, please the bees, please. All right. So supposedly bee venom has been used in medicine for thousands of years already. Uh, Hippocrates is said to have used it in the treatment of arthritis. Uh, so I don't want to be a downer about that, but I get the feeling looking at some of this bee venom literature that I think there are a lot of kind of hokey claims out there about, oh, bee venom, it'll do this, it'll do that. Get yourself stung by a bee, it'll be terrific. Yeah, it sounds like one of those old world kind of remedies where it's like, oh, no, you've got the rheumatism, go rub your face <laughs> on the bark of a tree that was used to hang a man who stole a duck. Well, there there are some alternative medicine claims that I'm not sure of the veracity of mm -hmm. about bee venom out there. And I certainly do not recommend that anyone go out and get themselves stung by bees in order to cure whatever it is that you want to cure. Right. But bee venom is being her being used. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Uh, it, or it's being investigated, rather, um, for, for cancer therapies. Oh, by, like, legit scientists. By legit scientists, not by all Farmer Jim down by the watering hole. Well, let's hear all about it. All right. So there was a study done at Washington University in St. Louis that was published in 2009. It took one of the operative toxins in bee venom, which is a peptide called melitin or melitin or melatinin or something to that extent. But at any rate, um, they, they can insert uh, melitin into nanoparticles called perfluorocarbons, which you may remember us talking about in our episode on artificial blood back in August of 2014. Oh, okay. So these were kind of like uh, they wanted to create artificial oxygen-carrying cells. Uh, right. And as it turns out, these things were really crap at delivering oxygen, mm. but they're pretty good at delivering venom peptides. <laughs> Just what I needed. When I'm out of blood, <laughs> give me some venom. Right? That's what runs through my blood. Um, in a, uh, in, in a ridiculous or possibly ridiculously brilliant, uh, like research marketing move, the team chose to call these, um, melitin bonded perfluorocarbons nanobees. 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 Well, they know how to get some media attention. Nanobees, y'all. Nanobees. Uh, that's a good word. It feels good to say. They sting cancer tumors to death was an actual headline that appeared on the Telegraph. Well. The Telegraph. The Telegraph know. also knows how to do headlines. They do. Nano bees. <laughs> I, I dare you. I dare you, listener, to look at the word nano bees. Like, go ahead, write it down on a piece of paper or on your computer right now and look at it and try not to laugh. Nano bees? It's physically impossible. It's the best word. Okay, but seriously, um, so, <laughs> so they added to these nanoparticles, um, the, the bee venom peptide melitin and also a targeting agent that binds to a particular molecule that's found on the surface of newly developing blood vessels, uh, which tumors are super rife with. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as, as, as a bonus to all of this, tumors are also hoarders. They, they keep particles in. <laughs> So once these nanoparticles, uh, you know, attach to the surface of the blood vessels and then get into the tumor, they don't get pushed out. Hmm. And I'm a little bit shady on the exact science of, of the next part because, again, I'm not a scientist, but it sounds like these nanoparticles take advantage of a really specific like cell membrane protein transfer process to get the melitin into the cancer cells and then destroy them from the inside out. That's so, interesting. That's Pretty super. 
Uh, and the same process basically might be able to kill the human immunodeficiency virus. Wow. HIV. Yeah. Ooh, let's hear about that. All right. So another study done at Washington University in St. Louis, published in 2013, okay. applied Melitin to, to this other task. Uh, the, the researchers noted that Melitin can destroy the, the skin or the coating that protects an HIV virus. And I know I just said virus twice, but uh, yes. Uh, so, so, I mean, Melitin destroys lots of cells. And to keep the other cells around these viruses safe... The, the researchers load the melitin into those little nanoparticle structures, which also happen, uh, in addition to the stuff that I said earlier with the, the cancer, they also happen to create little like bumpers around uh, the melitin particle. So your blood cells are huge and they bounce off the bumpers, but anything as small as a virus will slip right through the bumpers and come into contact with the melitin and totally die. Wow. So these sound like big claims about bee venom. So I'm sure... We would have heard more about them if the if the research was really far along, right? Uh yeah, yeah. Okay, so so they're they're really hoping, and and when they put out press releases about this research being published, um, they they said that you know with further testing, they might be able to do fabulous things like like develop a gel that can be applied vaginally that will reduce HIV transmission, mm. or that uh into into something that could even be injected into the bloodstream of infected patients to reduce that infection in the body. Wow. And and those are big hopes, but they're you know, they haven't been tested out yet. Mm. This is all still uh in, in vitro, I believe, being done in, in laboratories, in glass dishes, uh not in live animals. And so there's still a lot of testing to be done. I, If you've seen headlines about this and someone was going like, yes, it is the cure for HIV. Uh, that's just the media doing what the media does with medical news yeah. and overstating things dramatically. It's easy to get excited about uh, promising preliminary research. Oh, and yeah. We do it here sometimes. Oh, of course. It's uh, when somebody says, hey, we could cure something, especially if we could cure it in a really bizarre and interesting way. That includes bee venom. Yeah. Right. And nanobees, yeah, we're like, yeah, we're on nanobees. Lead us into the future. <laughs> well, I hope the nanobees and all these other things do turn out. Uh, but this isn't even the half of it. There are all kinds of claims out there, some more well substantiated than others, that various venoms cure or at least provide partial relief from a wide range of ailments. So it's one of those things where I think there there's a ton left that we could find out. Venoms are, are an interesting source of medicine because we already know that they're potent at doing things. You know, it's not like, a, hey, let's try a capsule made from the bark of some random tree and see, does it do anything? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> most and, and, and venoms. Not, yeah, it's not like you have to boil a venom down to, I mean, I mean, usually just very tiny particles uh within them very small proteins and peptides and stuff are so efficient yeah yeah they they, they do a job within bodies already mm -hmm. usually it's a job that you don't want done to your body but it might be something that actually saves your life mm -hmm. so i think this has been a lot of fun to talk about yeah so maybe in the future we will revisit the topic of venom and bring even more research into developing venom tech and venom medicine yeah, yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't quite get a chance to cover today, so. 
If there's anything that you can think of that we have not discussed about Venom, then you should get in touch with us. The ways that you can do that are via email at fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. You can go to our website, fwthinking.com, to, you know, to check stuff out. Look around. I mean, if you're into websites, if you're not into websites, if you're into social media, then you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus, wherein our screen names are variations of FW thinking. I, you guys Just are search for you're, you're we'll smart. You'll you'll find us. Um, and yeah, let, let us know. Let us know what you thought about this episode, what you think about Venom, uh, what other topics you would like us to discuss, because we really love getting all of your incredible ideas and turning them into really good podcasts. So do that. Uh, and <laughs> whether or not we hear from you, you will hear from us again very soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.